0: Okay, good morning everyone, welcome to the Life in Torah of Our Leaders, live Tuesday mornings, 11.30, with First Seder B'smedrish, firstseder.org. Special welcome to our Torah anytime viewers and listeners, who will, bez HaShem, be joining this year. Today we are going to learn about Rabbeinu Oivadjah Mibartanura, better known as the Rav, an acronym for his name, Reish Ayin Bez, the Rav Rabbeinu Oivadjah Mibartanura, is the classic Pirush on Mishnayis. So, who was Rebbeinu Eyvajah? There's very little details about his personal life, as we'll see. He was born in the city of Bartanura, which is in northwest Italy. His father's name was Rabbi Avram. Very little about his family, very little about his, his father. Um, his family name was Yore or Yurah, Yud reish Aleph. And there have been many scholars who have tried to give in, uh, their opinions of what the origin of that name is. Some say it stood for Yehi Ritzui Echov. Some say it stood for Yirachamehu Kel. Yud, Reish, and the Aleph is for Hashem's name's Kel. And that's where that name seems to be that the, that this name might be a common or a, I don't say common, but a a name that's not uncommon amongst the Italians or amongst the Svardim. Others say this name was actually only for Rebbe Vajah. It wasn't his family name from his parents. It was his own family name based on the pasuk and Malachim Aleph, so maybe it was only I don't know if he took on the name or later on they took the name based on him. Ovad Yahu was Yoreh from the word Yoreh Yoreh as Hashem Mo'id. So that's why if you'll open up certain svarim and you'll see that it says Rabenu Yud Reish Aleph or Mibartanura. That was the family name. He was born. Around the bouts of the year 1440, 1440, um, which is um, the, the year Reish. year Reish. he learned by the Marik. The Marik was, was Rabbi Yosef Cologne, and he was a Rosh Hashiv in the city of Bologna, which is about near close by to Bartanura in northwest Italy, about 85 kilometers from Bartanura. We find in Chuvas Marik Shairish Ayin a Shail over there about a Sefer Torah that was lent to a Shul, and the question was, was it lent, was it given? He writes, he writes, v'chein pasakti loy. I already in the Shaila, and then a little bit further he says, kasher Kasaftio or did nafshi hachasid mi bar He calls it bar but it's the same place. He doesn't call him his Talmud, he calls him Yedid Nafshi, but it seems from the historians that Rebbe, Rebbe Vadya was a Talmud of the Marik. In Marik HaChadoshim, Simon Chav Gimel, he writes a letter, he writes, of Again, a lot of glowing terms for Rebbe Vadya. Again, it doesn't specifically say it was his Talmud. I saw it brought down in numerous... Uh, biographies of, of of the Rav, where they say that the Rav brings from his Rebbe, in the Rav's Pirish on an Chomish, and he calls him Moiri, or Moiri Rabbeinu Yosef. His Pirush on Chomish, he has, we'll see later, he, has a, he had a Pirish on Rashi on Chomish, but he also has a Pirish on Chomish that was printed with the Torah of the Bali um and, um and he has a Pirish there, the Pirish of the Rav, so I saw brought down that he quotes his Rebbe there numerous times. Even in the Chidushim of the Marik, where they bring his Chidushim al they do say that the Rav brings his Rebbe a few times or many times in Chumash. I personally did not find any of those times. I did numerous searches with different ways of searching. Mairi, Rabbi, Yosef, all different ways. I didn't find any of them. So I'm, I'm unsure about that piece of information. But this has been the scabble that he was the Talmud of the Marik. Either way, we're clear from these other two sources that the Marik um, held very highly of him. We don't know a lot, any much, much more about his younger life. In the year Reish Memhei, 1485, he was already the Rav in the city of Castillo. Um, so this is, he was in his 40s. Castillo is 105 kilometers south of Bartanura. He was the Rav of the city, and this was a major banking center. Many very Chasheva Jewish bankers were in the city of Castillo. And Rabbeinu Avadja, even though he was the rub of the city, he was also one of the bankers in the city. And in fact, they discovered a letter that they had written to the uh, government that, uh, like, that they should not have to force the Jewish bankers, to work, work on Shabbos and Yontif, and any types of business to get to the bank, whether it's loans, whether it's collateral, nothing should have to be done on Shabbos and Yontif, and at the top of the signatures of the bankers was Rabbeinu Avadje ben Avraham ibar Tanura, um, he was the, considered, he was signing as the Rav of the Yedin, but he was already signing also as one of the esteemed bankers of the city. A couple years later, so that's in Reish Mem, hey, we already find this letter that they wrote. We don't know exactly what year he came to Castillo. But two years later in Reish Mem Zion, he made the decision to leave everything and to go to Eretz Yisrael. He knew it would be a very difficult trip. And as we'll see, he knew that living in Eretz Yisrael would be quite difficult. We don't have any information that I found about his family. Um, as we will we'll see, he wrote letters back to his father and to his brother, and he chronicled his trip, and he chronicled his life in Jerusalem and in Hebron. However, we don't find a mention of his of his wife, or, or his children for that matter, um, but it seems from his letters that he went alone to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, before he left, he left over in the hands of someone named Rabbi Aminu al-Chai from a place called Kamirini. He left him over a certain amount of money that she invests and the profits he should send him from time to time to Eretz Yisrael. His brother as well, Rabbi Vaj's brother also used to send him money from profits that he had on some money that he was making. His brother was known as a very big Machnis oirach. He did a lot of Achnosis orhim, And uh, however... Someone once wrote that he came to the house and it was unbelievable how much money they spent on Akhnos' Zorchim. But he said he looked at the, at the brother and his children, the family members, he said they were dressed so like paupers that he said he didn't even realize these are actually the Balabatim of the house. He thought they were the hired help. And his brother said, "The reason is because even though yes, he gives out a lot of money for mitzvahs. However, in his personal expenses, he is mitzamtim ma'oid. He is very stingy in order to be able to send money to his brother in Eretz Yisrael. So, as we said, that he himself chronicled his own travels, and there's he's, he wrote three. There's three letters that chronicle his travels. Two that he wrote, one extensive letter to his father, one to his brother, and then there's a letter that one of his talmidim wrote." about Rebbe Vajja, came later on and wrote a letter um, about what was going on in Eretz Yisrael. So from, from these three letters we get a picture of his travels and we get a picture of what was going on as we'll see in Yerushalayim in Eretz Yisrael at the time. If I am correct, years uh, the CIS may have put out a book might be available on Amazon I think called Pathway to Jerusalem or Pathway to Yerushalayim where they translate the letters, they're not uh, hard to find. They're printed in called Dark Tsion, have the letters, um, and they're not uh, hard Hebrew to read either. But they were translated in that book, um, if I'm not mistaken. So the first thing is, he left uh, Castillo and he traveled to Naples, Napoli, he calls it, which is 514 kilometers in the southeastern part of Italy. So he went, I'm sorry, in the southwestern part of Italy, I apologize, um, to the other side. So he went, so let me just uh, correct myself from before. Bartanura is in northeast Italy. So now he went to Naples, which is southwest Italy. Um, he went through Rome and he came to Naples and he was in Naples for a while because he says (inaudible) I couldn't find a boat or a ship or some type of passageway that passage that um, was where I wanted to go while he was there in Naples he traveled for four months to a city Salerno which is 60 kilometers south of Naples then he went back to Naples now it's interesting when you look at the map And you see him in northeast um, Italy, you wonder to yourself, why didn't you just get on a boat over there, maybe by Venice, which is on the water there, and go straight down the uh, Adriatic Sea, straight to the Mediterranean. He seems to be going very backwards here. He's going all the way to Naples, which is in the southwest, and trying to get on a boat from there and come all the way around. So at the end of the letter, he writes to his father, and he says, there was a very famous uh, decree that the government in Venice made that no Jews are allowed to take any boats through their, take passage through the Adriatic Sea to get to Eretz Yisrael. Because in Eretz Yisrael, there was a problem. The Muslims, with the Eitzah, with the uh, advice of the Jews, kicked the Christians out of the kever of David HaMelech and there was, a, there was a, 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 a church there or something like that, they threw them out. So because of that, in Venice they were very upset, and in Italy the Christians were very upset about it, and therefore they said, no more, no one's allowed to go through our uh, territory to Eretz Yisrael. So that's why he had to go on this whole roundabout way, and um, instead of traveling that way, he had to go all the way to Naples and come around. At the, when he got to Eretz Yisrael, which is almost a year later, as we'll see, he writes to his father. He says, "Tayde l'kel butlag zera. Baruch Hashem, the gezera now has been." rescinded, and he says, Jews are now starting to come, he says, only if I would have known, when I, you know, I guess somewhere during his travels, then the Gzairah was battle, he said if I would have known, I wouldn't have had to taken such a long time to get here, because in 40 days you could get from Venice to Eretz Yisrael, and you see how long, as we'll see, it took him to get to Eretz Yisrael. So, on Shivasir Batamu's um on Batamu's he got on a boat from Naples to Palermo, Sicily, um, and uh, it took five days to get there even though it's a very short uh, travel. He says there was no wind taking them, and it took, it took some time. Now what we get from his travels is a very interesting thing. Not only did he talk about the different places that he visited. And he also talked about the different minhagim of the people of those places. And I'm going to just, in the different places, I'll highlight a few things. But he really talks about Richus in the letters about it. Some fascinating things that he talks about in his letters of his travels. Um, So he talks about uh, uh, Palermo. He says it's uh, Ira Gedoyla, Reish Malchus of Sicily, the capital of Sicily. And he writes that there's about 850 Jews in this city. Bali Malachis, they were laborers. They worked in the fields. They were, uh, they, were um, they were carpenters and things like that. They did, you know, labor. And he writes, But they were very bozzy, um, disgraced. They were very low down in the eyes of the Goyim. And they wore begotim kruim. They had to wear torn clothing. Probably, I I wasn't sure if that's something they had to do or that's something that they did wear because they were laborers and this was just more coarse clothing as opposed to, it sounds like the the Sicilians were like higher class people, it was below them. That's why the Jews had to do all the menial labor, working in the fields and things like that, but he does write, they have to wear like a round piece of uh, material that's red on their hearts as a simon that they're Jews, like the uh, like the yellow star. They had to wear this red red uh, red thing on their begotten. and not only that, they had to work for the for the government. Meaning to say that wherever there was work needed, they had to go travel and work for the government. So they were almost like slaves and servants to the government. So he talks about this life that they lived, but he also describes and he says they have a shul. Ain't kamayu There's no shul like this in the entire land. U gayim admait, An unbelievable shul. And he describes and he describes um, the beauty of the shul. He goes through great detail to describe the beauty of the shul. So even though they were considered coarse menial laborers and the Gayim didn't see them as chashiv a people, says however when it came to their shul and their Beis haknesses, they really were uh, really on top of their game, so to speak. And they had a very, very beautiful and chasuva uh, shul. Um, he talks about them in Hagim, as we said before, and he says the interesting thing. He says, In this place, Palermo, on Lel Yaimakipurim, and on an Hashanah Rabbah, so they would open up the doors of the shul, two doors, one on the one side and one on the other. They would stay there a whole night. And during the night, the women would come with their families, <laughs> to bow down in the shul, a whole night this would go on, there would be a parade of women and children and families going through the shul, bowing down, kissing the sifrei ta'ira, and then going out the opposite door. And he writes over there, I found favor in their eyes, Hashem gave me that I found favor, and they asked me that I should speak in front of them every Shabbos, and they asked him that he should stay there for at least a year, teach them Torah, but he didn't want to. He was on his way to Eretz But they kept on pulling fast ones on him. And anytime there was a ship to Eretz they would tell him the wrong date, they would tell him the wrong time. He kept on missing his trip because of that. And he writes about it. He writes, they kept on tricking, tricking me, and I had to push it off. And... Um, and so even though he got there on Shavosir bet I'm sorry, he left Shavosir bet from Naples, it took five days, so he got there on Chofbeis-Tammuz, he didn't end up leaving there till a boat docked on Erev Sukkis, and Mutzish Shabbos Kadesh Bereshis of Reish Memches, which is 1487, um, he finally got on a boat that it was on its way to Alexandria, Egypt. Um, on his way, they stopped in the uh, port city, the harbor city of um, Messina. And this was a, har- a harbor city on the strait, there was a strait of Messina that takes them from into the Mediterranean. And um, so they stopped there. This was a major port city. And also in this city, he talked about um, the minhagim of the city. And he talked about, he, he writes about a chasan over there. He writes, after the chuppah, they would put the kala onto a horse, and they she would be paraded um, through the streets on a horse, and all of the Tibor would walk with her, and they would be singing. The chasin was in the middle there, in front of all the together with all the Zekanim and they were escorting the kala, the chasin, and the kala. And Vitsayakim Lafanel they would scream in front of her. I assume it was some type of singing or kol gadol. He says. It was so loud, or maybe it's like here hear sometimes by the Sefaradish you hear this type of um, uh, uh, noises that they make, screaming, screeching noises. Maybe that's what he's referring to. He says, I thought there would be an earthquake because of it. I thought the ground would shake. And the Gayim would come, and they would also be B'Simchan. Like nobody protested, and it was a very joyous affair. This is something that he highlights about uh, a Hasana that he witnessed there. From there, they went to Rhodes um, in Greece and um, the after four days as they were on their way to Rhodes um, after four days, there was a storm and he writes um, he says they were really they were going to capsize, and they were able to get into a little alcove on a uh one of the, the um, islands over there, it was almost like a port, that we were able to get into to protect ourselves from the storm, and we waited out the storm there for three days. So then they continued, and, but then there was another storm, and they had to then um, uh, lower their anchor in a, um, uh, an island called Lungai uh, they were there for 10 days. And after that, they finally got to Rhodes. And he says, we were niskabel there. We were greeted there. The city was excited to see us. He had, there was another rav on the on the boat as well. And it seems the captain had been in touch with the shore, that he has these him and the city came out um, to greet them. He's nispal from the city of Rhodes. Anyone who didn't see the city of Rhodes, with its high walls and its and its and its fortification, has never seen a strong place. It's pure and clean air. I never saw such a place. The waters are sweet. Very nispal not only from the architecture and from the, the, the fortification of the city, but from the entire city, the air quality and the water quality. And they were there from Gimel Kislev until Tesvav Teves. And then um, they continued, um, Continued. they got on a boat to go to Egypt, to cross the Mediterranean, to go to e- Egypt. It took them six days and they got close to Alexandria and e- Egypt and they were waiting for a permit to get into Alexandria, because they had, uh, on the boat, there was, um, they had schaira um, there, they had things that they wanted to bring in the, um, to, to Egypt, and they needed some type of permit. However, there seemed to have been some type of vikua, some type of argument um, going on, some conflict between the, uh, the the sailors, or the captain, and the government in Alexandria. And he says, And we were left there on the boat. But to rough him and, and all of a sudden a, a storm came and we are being thrown around. Um, the boat was going to capsize and break, and uh, he says this took tw- we were there for twenty four hours of and we every moment we saw death in front of us,, and they had no choice anymore, but they actually got off the boat and they walked to Alexandria. In other words, it sounds like they were at a port near Alexandria, but they weren't able to get into Alexandria. So they got off the boat, and they actually walked on foot to Alexandria. One of the Chasheva people in the city in Alexandria, Moshe Grosoy, um welcomed them and brought them into his house. And again, in Alexandria, he, in the letter, he talks about the minhagim of the city, he talks about the shul of the city, a lot of very interesting tidbits about Alexandria um, that he writes over there. Um, about seven days later, he met a Jew who had made a nether that he's going to go to Yerushalayim and be there in time for Pesach with his family. So Rabbi Noavadah decided he's going to join them and um, they started go, traveling on a caravan from Alexandria going to Eretz Yisrael. When they passed by the Nile River, he writes, I saw a Tzvardea. is translated as a frog, obviously. It was bigger than a bear. So this must have been uh, an alligator, a crocodile, whatever there is over there in the Nile. He so said the people told them this is not one of a kind. There's tons of them over here. And he says these are from the Tzvardim that were, le- that were left over, Mime from the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, in the beginning of Adar, they reached Cairo. Cairo. And he talks again about the shul over there. There's a shul that they said there was a Gilu Eliyohanavi. Eliyohanavi appeared to someone over there. And they say in this shul they used to have, I'm sorry, they say in the shul, I'm sorry, they used to have the Sefer Torah of Ezra HaSefer. Ezra HaSefer Sefer Torah. And they said that until a Jew once came and purchased it from the Shamash, obviously illegally, the Sefer Torah of Ezra, nobody's selling it, but the Shamish wanted to make a few dollars, and he sold it to this person, and they said when this person took the Sefer Torah and he went on a boat, the boat capsized, and he was killed, and the Sefer Torah was lost. The Shamish also had a bitter end, it seems he decided went crazy a little bit, and he was Hamir Dasai. he uh, converted to, I guess, Islam or something like that, and he also died. Um, they said, but the 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 mantle of the Sefer Torah, the cover of the Sefer Torah, was still in the shul there in Cairo. This was what they told him about the shul there. It was in the same shul that they said there was a Gilui It's very interesting to note that the Chida in She'imagedaylim on the entry of Rabbi Vajah, he has over there a very very long a very long footnote. It's not a footnote, but he writes it in small letters. And he writes that when he was in Mitzrayim Huatika, he calls it, the old city of Mitzrayim in Cairo, they showed him that there was a place that they said behind there in the Shoal is the Sefer of Ezra, but the entranceway or the doorway or the window, however you get in there, was sealed up. And they said behind there is the Sefer of Ezra. And they said the reason it's been sealed is because they had Epis of I remember the Hidah was... Uh, Right? When was the chidah? We talked about the chidah um, a few weeks ago. So the chidah was in the uh, late 1700s. So we're talking about uh, 200 years later, over 200 years later. right? Here we're in the, uh, for, in the, in the late 1400s. So uh, we're close to 300 years later. So they told him that they had a Messiah that anyone who touched the Sefer Torah of Ezra, they told the chidah, um, would be would die during that year, and because of that, they decided to seal it up, no one could touch it. See, he says, the Chidah writes, but some Chachamim whispered to me, and told me, that the Sefer Torah is not really there anymore, it had been removed. And he writes, "Vatari isi divra Now that I saw the words of Rabbeinu Evadjah, that he says this story, this Eretz is taken not there because it was sold and was lost. Inani, I have Hano, that those whispers that were told to me, um, I now understand they were substantiated. On Khaf Ador, they left Cairo and this tour going towards Eretz Yisrael, and." Um, and the way he talks about, he, he passed by Eretz Goshen, where they told him Goshen was. Different things he says on his way there, with historical, uh, you know, have to do with the history of Klai Yisrael and Mitzrayim. They went through the desert until they reached Aza, they reached Gaza. And he writes over there, I saw the house that Shimshon collapsed on the Plishtim, the final stand of, of Shimshon Hagibor. gibor He says, I saw it there in Aza. On Yud of Nisan, they reached Hebron. Um, he talks about the Moras HaMachtelah, and he talks about Davini next to a window, that they say that window overlooks the kever of Avraham they don't let anyone in. He talks about seeing the kever of Yishai, the father of David, if you ever go on a tour of Hebron, um, with, um, with Hoffman Tours, so they take you to the Marzah Machpelah, and they take you to the kever of Yishai and Rus. But he says he went to the kever of Yishai. Um, he they, he was shown the be'er that they say was be'er Shal Yitzchak. Samach to and they showed him a Mikveh mayim chayim, a spring Mikveh that they say that that's where Sarah imenu would be toivel um, in that in that mayim chayim. They traveled through Beis Lechem He describes there, and he writes a Kaverachal Vichalecha Kefi spaluk Everyone davin there kefi That's the first he didn't write that by the Marzamafelo. It was interesting. By Kaverachal he wrote that. Umi Nigla leinu and from there they went, and it was shown. It was revealed to us. We were able to see the Ir Hamulala, the praiseworthy city. Vesham Karadnu Begadeinu kechaiva. We saw Yerushalayim, and we tore our clothing, as in, like the obligation is. He says, when we got a little closer, we were able to see the place of the base Hamikdash, and we tore again our clothing, Al Hamikdash, and we came to the Shara Yushalayim, and we entered the Shara Yushalayim, Yud Gimel Nisan, Reish Mem Ches. Yud Gimel Nisan, 1488. Um, he took, describes Yushalayim at the time. Ruba Charvo most of it is desolate and destroyed. There's only a number of inhabitants there. From those inhabitants, there's only about 70 Jews there. Midalas poor people. As we'll see, many of the people left, any people who were there, Jews, um, left, uh, were chased out almost, as we'll see in a moment. Asherin Lehem the people there have nothing to eat, and they're starving. He says, somebody who has food for a year, has bread for a year, they call him an usher. He's rich because there was no food there. He talks about Zikeinim, elders, but really they were like rulers there. It sounded like they were Jewish rulers that um, would would um, would put heavy taxes um, on the people. And because of that, that's why many made a lot of tsars for the Jews. And that's why many of the Jews actually left the city. And the only ones that were left were people that had nowhere to go or couldn't go anywhere. The Dala Sa'am. He describes one one place that it was actually mostly women. There weren't even a lot of men left there. The ratio of like men to women was like 7 to 1 or something like that. He says, these Zikhanim, they sold the Sifrei tyra in the Shul. He says, the Shul over there has very few Sifrei tyra. They used to have over 300 Sifrei tyra in the Shul in Yerushalayim. But these Zikhanim, they sold the Sifrei Um And not for sure they sold the Me'ilim, the covers of the golden covers and any type of silver kalim. They sold it and uh, they just took the money. They claimed that they were going to do stuff with the money, tell people but they did with the money whatever they wanted. He talks about there was very, there was no infrastructure there. I had to become he says to his father, K'ver Mason, I was the one who buried mason there was no one to carry anyone who died, no one to bury them and he writes that he took, he took a house for himself in Yerushalayim near to the shul there and he also says, and he writes, I think uh, he says there uh, was only women in that chatzar, um again because there were very few men. He says, I want to thank Hashem, I didn't get sick like many other people who came with me. He says, because most people who travel here, from Mokem Rechaika, they get sick because of the change of the climate his and he says it changes from minute to minute from hot to cold, from cold to hot. And he says, it's he says, all winds from the world, they come and they blow in Yerushalayim. Before they go anywhere else to blow, he says, they come here. The winds come to blow down Hashem in Yerushalayim, and then they go to wherever they need to go. So the weather's constantly changing, and because of this constant change in weather, many people can't handle it when they come from somewhere else, so they get used to it, and they get sick. And he thanks Hashem that he didn't get sick. Slowly but surely, um, things started improving. Um, the Zikeinim saw that they weren't doing any good for the city, and they started easing things up. They had a lot of covet for uh, Rabbeinu Avadja. They didn't put any taxes on him. And slowly but surely, by the year 1496, already 200 mishpachas lived in, uh, in Yerushalayim, and things were making a comeback. And Rabbeinu Avadjah became the Rav of the Ashkenazim, and this fired them together. He was neskabel by everyone. In that year, 1496, is when the Gailei Sfarad—they had been expelled from from Spain, 1492, as we all know—at uh, this, you know, till they made their way to different places. In this year, they started getting coming to Yushalayim, and he helped them out a lot to to acclimate themselves. And uh, one of his Talmidim, um, like we mentioned before, wrote a letter. Who um, who had travelled and it's it's an anonymous lever that letter they call them like Pliny Halmani, the so and so. They write he writes about um, the ra the Rabinovaja, ish, he's very great, Nobody does anything without him. I love Gaimi from all ends of the land people come to seek him out. The Gamimitsraim of Not only do they ask him to come to him from israel but from Egypt, from Babel of Khalaratasahila, they all come to Avenu Avaja, who Yigzer Aimer Vakamloy, whatever he says, happens. But he's very humble. His words are pleasant, and he's very able to converse with everyone. But about him, they say, "This is not a person. This is not a human being." He was such a powerful person on one hand, and at the same time, as humble and as soft on the other hand. He writes about Yerushalayim, he says, with all that was going on, even when he got there and he wasn't so happy with the situation, with this Canem, he says, but there's a... There's something very good in Yerushalayim, and that's the Nifla. There's a whole order, a Seder Nifla, an unbelievable Seder that they have um, for davening, and I don't have time to go through it, but he goes through his letter to explain in the morning, step by step, of the way that they were misbelled together in the shul and he goes through it and he says teva kol he says i see the nature when he talks about the people how nobody lies and nobody says sheker and shvu all different types of things and ben adam he says i see the nature of the people living in shalayim to be Hashem." yoiser me'anchem he's writing to his father he says more than all the other lands of europe of anywhere else um, i see here that the nature of them is to be Hashem. He talks about the mekayimus hakadoshim in Yerushalayim, the Beit Hamikdash. He says Jews don't enter there. He says even though the Ishmaelim, the Arabs, sometimes want to bring a, a craftsman, whether it's a carpenter or something, to work out to work in the, the in the Harabayas where the Beit Hamikdash is. He says but the Jews don't go there because of the problem of being Tomei and going in Harabayas. He says, I don't know if the Arabs themselves go lifnai lifnim imayin. I don't know if they go into the place of the Kaida HaKadoshim or not. He says, I asked about the evan and they told him it's buried there somewhere. He talks about the Kaisel hamaravi. He says, I see Avonim Gidolus, gigantic stones, lo'i reisi I never saw such big stones in any type of building, lo'i not in Rome, v'lo'i b'shar he talks about Har He says, if you go on, he talks about the, the Kvarim there. He says, if you go at to the top of Har you could see Staim and Amira. And he says, I asked about, do they know where the pillar of salt that is the wife of light? Ishtoysha light. So they told us the whole area is full of piles of salt. You're not able to tell which one is the wife of light. He says, you could see Har Ho'Avorim, where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried, could be seen from Yushalayim as well. So now let us go to what he's famous for. He's famous for his Pirish HaMishnayis. His Pirish HaMishnayis he began while he was in Italy and he finished it and completed in Yushalayim, And that's why there's some, he translates words into Arabic for that's what was spoken in Yerushalayim. It was first printed in, in, uh, in Venice by one of his nephews in the year 1548 after his petira. And the Sharblat and the, uh, and the cover page, the title page of the first printing. And if you want to see this, you could open up Mishnayis, Yochen Ubayaz Teferis Yisrael. And in one of the pages in the hakdamas, they have there the hakdama of the pr- printer who printed the first um, pub- the publisher. And over there they write they show- they write there in a footnote exactly what it said on the sharblat. And it says Asher na- Noida baSharim Avadio, who was known. All over by his name, Ki ha- ha- Hashem Haya Imai. Hayah Hashem imay Hashem was with him. So he didn't become famous in the world because of his peer at that time. While he was alive, it wasn't printed. He was famous for being the God of Ladar. He was famous for who he was. Like he's saying, Noida Basharim Shemai. This is years after um, after he was Nifter. Ki Hashem Imai Hashem was with him. The Tiferous Yisrael, in his Akdomatamishnais he writes Me Pirushama Israel from the famous Pirushim Klai accepted, the Yisrael accepted Pina, the head of it all, the cornerstone, Divra Benoibartanura, Udvarov Bris, Heinadvarm Shenamrubisinai. His words are something that are the words that were said by Sinai, by Sinai. So this is the Chashivas that Yisrael has for the Pirush of the Rav. His pirish is very similar to Rashi and Shas where he explains things Rashi and the Mishnayos even but many times he brings the maskana of what the gemara says uh, very often he's quotes he's he's capping so to speak I don't say capping he's but he's writing what Rashi wrote he also used the Rambam as you find in, Z- in Zroim and Taharis, often he uses the Rash, the Rash Mishans, the Pirish and, uh, and, and the Mishnaiyas of the Rash Mishans. He uses the Pirish of the Rush as well. But he brings what he needs, like sometimes he brings a Medrash, like the famous Mishnah Chulan, Parakeh, Mishnah Gimel, where it talks about uh, she- eating meat on, on Yom Kippur. He writes, In other places in Arab Yom Kippur, they didn't eat, they only ate. Uh, fowl or fish, like the famous story in Beresh's Rabbah about the tailor who bought a fish on Erev Yom Kippur. So that's brought down, I think, in Taisvitz, also over there in Chulin brings down that madrish, but he puts it in, the Rav puts it in to the uh, to his peerish. Um, it's interesting that in Masechta Yadayim Paragdal Mishnevav, he talks about the Tstukim there. And then he writes va'ad haye mazeh until today nisharu plateim bimitrayim there's still leftovers of these stukim in Egypt Bidamesek, in uh, in Damascus the Constantinon Constantinople famous sekim meenayulatznim btzidaynu there's still a thorn in our side Vanu Kerlem kairoim we don't call them stukim stukim in the olden days stukim by with the tamidim of Sadak and Baisus like you have in in um, we call them Karo'in, Kuf, Reish, Yod, Why? The Mikra, because they only uh, they only use mikra. They don't believe in Teshuva They only use Teshuva b'ksav. So we call them Karo'in. They're the ones, the people of the book, so to speak. Now there's a big deal if he was just a Mefarish or a pisik. Um We find in the Radvaz and uh, the Beis Yosef. They talk about Rashi, could you bring a, a, a raya from Rashi and Shas to a So they write, they write in a few places, the Beis Yosef and the Radvaz writes, that Rashi was a Mefarish and not a Um uh, The Chavis Yor, in Tshuva, Kuf Chav I was like to be, Two weeks ago, when I was in Germany, I was again to be in Worms at the Kavr, the Chavis Yar. He writes, After I uh, wrote the Chuvis he's talking about, I found in Rabbein Vaginbartanura, Bar Tanura. But then he writes, But since the Rav is a Parshan, he's a Mefarish, and not a Pisic, I can't bring such a Raya from him. I die in and therefore I'm not so sure. Chuvah Chassam Seifer also, Chaylik Vav, Likutim, Simon Peyalov says a similar thing. The of Be'huda, Tinyanev, and Ezra Kof Yadal writes, Amnon HaRav, Iker Svaray, um, leps- Lai He didn't write his Sefer as a psak. Rak Vim Hu And even though the, 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 the rab says the Night of Be'huda was Gadom Ma'aid, Ain you shouldn't wonder if he wrote something that's not Muskam Al it's not How We Paskin, because his Iker Sefer was not a psak Sefer, it was a Mefarish Sefer. In Tais Visyantif, Perak uh, Mish, Pe, Beis Mishnah Beis, we find that he asks a question on the Rav. He says the Rav doesn't, he doesn't understand it. We can only understand the Rav if you understand he's going like the Havamina Aminah in Yerushalmi. But he writes of Alva Ein Zed Darkai. That's not the way of the Rav. Mefarish lahalacha. That's not how those who are Mefarish La they don't write with a Havamina. And he says, even though we find Rashi in numerous places, is Mefarish the Mishnah like a Havamina? He says, but that's not the Rav. That's Rashi because you'll get to the Gemara. But the Rav is only on the Mishnah. The Rav should not go with the Havamina. The Rav should go with the Maskana. That's, that's how he should go. And in a few places, he's mitameya he's on the Rav like that. In that place, in, in Peya, Perak Be'ez, Meshavayz, he actually changes the gears on the Rav because he's so bothered by it. Maria um, Asad, Tshuvas Maria Asad, Yehudi Ya Lechei Gimel Reish Chaf, he also is mechalek between Rashi and the Rav. He says, He says, Rashi is a mafarish but the Rav is a paisik. So we find here, there seems to be a tumul if you could bring a Rael, a Halacha from the Rav or not, was he a Mafarish or a Paisic? We find that the radvaz was, um was, uh, was relied on the Rav for Piskei Din in numerous places. We find the Marshtam. I have all these Marmakaimas. I, I, I can't list them all off. The Mabit, the Chido, the Panamir is the Rav Paolim, is the Benishchai and others. They do rely on the Rav for Psak. So we see there seems to be a tumult here in if you can or can't rely on the Rav for a p'sak was he a Mifarish or a Paisic. When he does paskin, like dar Ashulchan in Arachaim and Vav about uh, Hilchus Brachas, he writes v'chem pasik harav beferish haMishnayis. The rav says over there ain't halacha keveshamai, but he brings a raya that we don't paskin like peishamai in this instance from the p'sak of the rav. So when the rav paskins, of course it has it has a, a lot of weight to it. The question is, when he doesn't paskin, do we bring a raya from the way he explained the mishnah? The Chuvis Ridvaz Kovchas, he writes, um Bekhain Khas of Rab Vifirash Ha Mishnah and he writes about the um the uh, the uh, the Rav Ish Hazaya Mafursa Bachma Beroish the Khora Boni Rishalayim says you wanna know the Ridvaz writes, you wanna know um I'm sorry, the Radvaz writes, you wanna know who is the um the um the the um, the the Rav he's mephursim bechachma he's well known with chachma v'roish lechol rabbonim rishalaim he's the head of all the rabbonim v'hu a ashkenazim he says he was a talmud of ashkenazim called koldiver Rishinim, but he saw all the words of the rishanim k'ayah akher mizman because he was a late, later. And all the chachamim of Sfarim and Ashkenazim in Yerushalayim, ha yoyushin lefun of pufim lei, all sat in front of him. All all sat in front of him. They were all subservient to him. So he's describing. That's why he's giving such weight to the pirish of the rav for psak. So he very much relied on the rav for psak. The Rav was Nifter, it's not clear what year, somewhere, somewhere between the years of 1500 and 1518. Like we said, the Rav Amishnai was only printed in 1548. So, at least uh, 30 years after his Petira, he was buried at the bottom of Harazasim in the safer Get Pasha from Moshe Ibn Khaviv, Hilchaz Gittin, Kuv Lam Zayin. He's talking about, uh, in writing in a Get, about uh, springs and rivers, he says. In, in Yerushalayim, there's a spring called Shilayach, the Mei Shilayach, which is called gihain It's known to be south of Yerushalayim. They call it in, in Arabic Silouan. Even nowadays, they call it Silouan. And it's at the end of the Beis near the cave, a closed cave, where buried there are some Gedalim. Now he writes, The Mardchai, Rabbeinu Kleinemis and Rabbeinu Avajim e Tanura, Ushor HaTzadikim, Kiadu Alonu I don't understand how the Mardechai was there. The Mardukhai was killed in Germany in a massacre in 1200s. Rabbeinu Kleinemus also is in Germany, but that's what he writes, and he writes, Rabbeinu Avadim Vartanura and other Tzadikim, like is known to us from the Zikenim. We don't know when he was nifter, when his yard is, but there came a point, Rabbeinu Yosef and, and Yibolda ben Chaim, the Rav of Yerushalayim, Rib Nebensal, were asking him to make a special day that people should go to his kever, and they said to stress. It's not his yard site, it's not Yom Petirasi, it's a Yom Zikaroin. It's a day when we set aside because we don't know when his yard site is, and I think they in Yerushalayim, they, they, they marked this as Gimel Sivan before, before, uh, before Matan they pick that day to go to his kever. Besides for his Sefer on Mishnayiz, he has a Sefer Amarnaka on Rashi on Chumash, and, Chumish, um, and, and uh, Pirush on Megillus Rus, he had, as we said before, a pirush on that was printed with the Balayat Ay-Savis. He had Chidushim, a manuscript of Chidushim on his Rebbe, the Marik. This was the Rav, have a wonderful day, everybody, and call tov.